Wonderful. As you know by now, hopefully, if you don't, you'll find out uh, James and Lisa are away. Uh, first time in a long while that they're taking a break, and the well-deserved ones at that. So we're, gonna, we're missing them this morning, but we also pray for them that as they take some time out, that they'll be refreshed and encouraged in the Lord. Amen? I just want to also say welcome to my wife's brother and sister-in-law and kids. We've got James and Cornell there and Connor, their son. I know Cornell would love this. <laughs> but actually, um, when, we, when we were doing our father's house during lockdown, they were part of that journey and got some incredible testimonies of what God did during that time. Lots of prayers that God uh, that we prayed for that God answered. So it's so great to have you guys with us here. It's the first time they're able to, able to visit us since we moved down. So we're looking forward to spending some time with them over the next few days. Great. So I'm going to share with us this morning, if you can put on the fir- up the first slide for us, please. I'm going to share, share with us this morning about taking the hill country, moving from visionary to visionaries, taking the hill country. Would you... Uh, Pump somebody in the ribs if they're close to you and say, are you ready to take the hill country? If you don't have somebody next to you, pump yourself in the ribs. Uh, Am I ready uh, to take the hill country? One of the things that really inspires me about this church uh, and about being part of this church is the words that God has spoken over Christ's church. And the words God has has been speaking like this morning over us as a church Speaking to us about there's something that's, that's a change that's, that's uh, a change that is up, that there's something he wants to do with us and in us, and that we need to be readying ourselves for that. And a few weeks ago, when we were up in Edinburgh, I um, spent some time and I read through all the prophetic words that James got um, in paper form that we're busy digitizing, and it was really encouraging for me to see what God has spoken over us as a community. It was encouraging for me to read the plans and the purposes that God has got for us. Now, now, one of the things that God has spoken over us is that He wants us to become and be a base church. A base church. Now, what is a base church, I hear you ask, Reuben? I'm so glad you asked me. (laughs) A base church, a base church is a church that has the capacity to resource, encourage, influence, and impact other local churches. It's a local church. And what a local church is, a church in a local area, ministering into a local area like us here in Crawley. But it has the capacity and the call of God to impact other local churches and therefore other local communities. And we, see, we don't see the term uh, for those scholars of us amongst us. And I know somebody like, like Rob. Rob, have you ever found the term base church in, Bible, in the Bible? No. Are you sure? How many times have you read the Bible? <laughs> All the way through in one sitting. <laughs> if you've ever read the Bible through, you will find... That there's no space or no place in Scripture where the phrase base church is being used. However, the concept of a base church is readily found in Scripture. We see it where uh, some people got saved in Antioch, a new group of believers. They didn't know where to go, what to do. What did they do? They sent word to Jerusalem, to the church in Jerusalem, said, Help! 
Then Jerusalem does what? They chose some recognized men with gifting and a call of God on their lives, and they sent them to Antioch to go and encourage, teach, and uplift the community there. Amazing thing that we see happen then is Antioch in turn then also becomes a base church. A church that grows up, they take on board the teachings that's been given to them, and then they go in turn into other local churches, and they're a blessing to those local churches. That's an amazing concept that we see in the Bible that we as a church have been called to. So a base church recognizes and responds to God's plans and purposes for them both in the local context as well as what we call the translocal context. So when we talk about these kind of things and we talk about ministry trips, you'll hear us talk about local and translocal ministry. Translocal ministry, again, is when a local church, people from a local church, goes on a trip to another local church and minister there. Recently, we had Dennis and Vanessa that moved to Spain, and we're trusting that we'll be able to go on a translocal trip to Spain to go and encourage that fledgling church, like they did from Jerusalem to Antioch, and blow wind in their sails and encourage them. By the way, their daughter Joy was born on Friday, happy and healthy. We're happy for them. Now, I don't know about you, but the word that God gave us about being a base church is a little bit daunting. It's a little bit scary because it talks about capacity. It talks about generosity. It talks about going beyond and extending yourself beyond your comfort zone. And to many of us, myself included, sometimes that seemed like a massive mountain to climb. But what we will find is that wherever there's God's promises, there is God's promised land. And so when I was preparing, I was reminded of Joshua and Caleb. Anybody here knows who Joshua and Caleb was? Joshua and Caleb, they left Egypt with Israel, went to, to the to the of the promised land there were two of the young guys that were chosen to go and spy out the land there were also the only two of the young guys that came back with a promising report the other t- 10 came back and said they're giants there it's impossible this mountain is too big to climb it's too difficult there are giants there yeah but look at the grapes Look at the fruit. Look at the milk and the honey. It's such a beautiful land. Joshua and Caleb. No, 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 no. And those ten influenced the whole community so much that they had to go back to the wilderness for 40 years. A whole generation had to, be, had to pass away so that they can take the promised land. Because they didn't have faith to take hold of the land that God has promised them. And so Joshua and Caleb went through, leaving Egypt, went through the Red Sea, went through the wilderness, almost stepped into their promised land, then had to go back to the wilderness for 40 years, walk around with everybody in the wilderness. You guys didn't get to experience this when on, on, uh, online, this part of my preaching. They went through the wilderness, wandering through the wilderness, the same as all those who didn't believe, because sometimes we, we think that when we hear the promises of God and the promised land that there's no struggle there. No obstacles, no, no giants, no difficulties. And then when they came back to that point of crossing the Jordan River and taking hold of the promised land, I want you to remember that, 
taking hold of what God promised. Write that down somewhere. We have to take hold of what God promised. Then they fight some battles. Remember Jericho's walls that came tumbling down? Do you remember Ai and some of the battles that they won and then lost? And we get to Joshua 14, verse 13 to 14, and it says this. So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave Hebron to him as his portion of land. Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing to be said of us? One day, that God blessed Will, son of, who's your, what's your dad's name? Harry. <laughs> Harrison. <laughs> God blessed Will because of his faith and trust of, in God. Wow, what an incredible thing. Taking the hill country requires us to go from being a visionary-led church to being visionaries. Taking our promised land, taking hold of our promised land, means that we have to move from being visionary. Now, I'm not saying that James and Lisa leads in this way, but sometimes we can approach church as church members like that. Well, they lead the church, so they're the visionary, therefore they, you know, they need to come up with all the plans. They need to put it in place. But we need to move from a mindset, and wherever you fit into that, that scope and spectrum, we need to move from that to becoming visionaries ourselves. Visionaries ourselves. Now, you might sit there thinking, like, well, how can I be a visionary in this context? Well, you know, um, some of us, some of us have got a call on us to lead others. Some of us have had a call, have a, have a call to be ministry leaders, whether it be Alan, the, the worship teams, whether it be home groups, whether it be ministry trips. And by the way, there's home groups this week, in case you don't know. If you haven't joined the home group yet, please speak to uh, Tim or Alan or who else? Very good. So they're not here this morning. But speak to them if you're not part of a, a, a home group. And so some of us are called to be a, a ministry leaders, team leaders. And when you lead something, you are required to be a visionary. Now some of us think that being visionary means that you're a certain type of person. It's not true. It's not true. One of the biggest churches in the world is Victory Church in the Philippines. And Steve Murrell, who started that church, I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of people. One church, 40,000 people. I think it's doubled now. But you wouldn't know that he's leading the church because he's not up there preaching every Sunday. Sometimes he's in the back of the church and nobody would know who he was if you haven't met him before. Very introverted. Some churches, like Elevation, has got a Stephen Furtick that's dynamic and you know, just incredible. Being visionary is not typecasting people. You do not have to be an A-type personality to be visionary. But if you have the call of God in your, of yourself to lead something, then you are called to be visionary. And some of us, whether you realize this or not, if you are a parent, you are called to be visionary for your kids. 
the greatest privilege we have as parents is to raise well-balanced adults who are envisioned themselves, who know the plans and purposes that God's given them as children, not my plans and purposes. Sometimes we can do that as parents. We vicariously live through our kids. But as parents, we get to set our kids up for success in this world. And that requires being visionary. But the, but the simplest form of being visionary is being a visionary to yourself. So everyone in this room is called to be a visionary at some level. Somebody please say, how do I do that, Vatman? Thank you so much for asking. You guys are so in tune with me this morning. We could be so blessed. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we become visionaries in Christ church? In order for us to do this effectively, there are a few things that we need to do as individuals and as a church that will help us to take the hill country. Remember, that's the point. The purpose is for us to take hold of the plans and the purposes and the promised land that God's got for us. And the first thing we need to do is we need to know what God said over us as a church and over us as individuals. It's very important. It's very important for us to know what God has said. Because if we don't know what God has said over us as individuals and as a church, where are we going to go? I remember being part of a, a church, a church in, in South Africa, and they changed the pastors who led the church every two years. Two to five, it, well, well it, sometimes it, it was five, and then they said, no, it's too long, and then two years, because, you know, a, 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 clean, a new broom sweeps clean, they say. So every time the new pastor comes, the interior got changed. The vision and mission got revised. The imagery got changed. But all that that led to is confused people. What about the poor people who've been in the church for 20, 30 years? Even 10 years, they would have sometimes go through two or five pastors. Confusion. Do you think God changes his mind because he changes the person who's leading? Is God confused? No. If ever there's someone that plays the long game, it's God. So we need to know what God has spoken over us and over the church. And here's the thing. If God, that's why we need to be convinced of where God's placed us. Because if God has placed us in this church, when we decided that, and felt that it was right in God for us to come here, immediately in my head, something shifted. Okay, Lord, if you're calling us to Christchurch, then you always had a plan for us, and the words you've spoken over us, and how that will dovetail. How that will work together with what you've spoken over this church. And they do. I don't know why I was surprised. Because, I mean, if God is God and He knows all things, then He would have thought of that, isn't it? It's not like, oh, uh, who's more important, you or the church now? Which one do I change? Uh, uh. Michael! Michael! 
<laughs> you know, God doesn't work like that. One of, the, one of the patriarchs, Abraham, God spoke clearly to him. But not only over him, but every single person that followed him for the rest of time. He spoke clearly to Abraham. He says, the Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. So, leave all your security. Leave your comfort zone. Leave your inheritance. Because that's what his father's home meant, remember? The father would build up the estate, and what would happen? The sons and the children would take over the estate and grow it. And God was telling him to leave all of that and go to a place that I will tell you about. (laughs) All the accountants go, this doesn't add up. I've got so much in the bank, and God's telling me to go to a place where he's not telling me where. Sometimes we feel like that, isn't it? We want to know when God speaks, A, B, C, D, right up to Z, before we will like, okay, I will consider it. (laughs) So how, how do we know? Oh, sorry. I will bless you. Back, back, sorry. I'm sorry, Rob. I will bless you. And make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Isn't that amazing? But that, that promise was spoken over every single individual that followed Abraham in his lineage. And we've got to realize, friends, that when God speaker speaks over us as a church like he does, that those words impact you and I. And we need to come to terms with that. We need to, like it says in Ephesians, that God adopts us into his family. We need to adopt what God has spoken over this church and one another and say, Lord, how do I work this out? But I'm getting ahead of myself. So I just want a quick sub points. How do we hear God? Well, God speaks to us through the Bible. God speaks to us through the Bible. And he gives us instructions and guidelines that are generally applicable to all of us. When God spoke to the disciples, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. Yes, he spoke to the apostles then, but it was a generic, general command to all believers. When Paul writes and says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, yes, he was writing it in uh, one of his epistles, and I can't remember which one now, forgive me. He He wasn't just writing to those believers, he was writing to all of us. Because why wouldn't we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? If Jesus said, it's better that I go that you can receive the Holy Spirit, and then Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, it applies to all of us. But sometimes we treat the words of God and the promise of God like it doesn't apply to us. I know that that doesn't apply to me because I'm not like this, or I'm not ready, or I'm not prepared, or I do not know, I cannot see how it will work out. Like the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. When Paul wrote to the Galatians, it wasn't just intended for that church, because often what would happen is those letters would be spread around, But he says for all of us to be fruitful, to rely on the Holy Spirit. 
The other way that God speaks to us is through others. And I'm not going to list all the ways that God speaks to us. But this morning, we had an incredible example of that. Four different people came and shared what they felt God was saying. But it was the same theme. Isn't that amazing? And I want to say this. If there's, there's a couple of things that God has given the privilege for elders to do. He's given the privilege to elders to set discipline, doctrine, and direction. It's not up there. Discipline, doctrine, doctrine, and direction. So if somebody comes to you and says, Tim, I believe God is calling you to move to Timbuktu. What do you do with a word like that? You measure it against what the word of God says. You measure it against the the past prophetic words that you've received. And you bring it to the elders whom God has given the privilege of guarding over your soul. Did you know the Bible says that? Seriously, guys, when, 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 when when a person comes onto eldership, it's a it's an enormous task and privilege. Therefore, when God speaks to you and you come and bring a word like that that's directional to the eldership, they consider and prayerfully ask God, is this right? But also, because they're in relationship with you, they will protect you. I needed that. I'm quite impulsive, hey love. If you haven't noticed it, if you haven't noticed it, I'm quite impulsive. And there's another couple over there that knows me quite well. Very impulsive. So I needed someone to tell me, no, God is not calling you to move to X, Y, and Z right now. Why not? Because you're not ready. What? I was born ready, man. I came out with a sign saying, God send me. No. That's why God gives us elders and leaders. And sometimes God speaks to us specifically. And sometimes God speaks to us congregationally or in a group or in a community. I, 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 just for interest's sake, I went and I checked this morning. I've got captured over 90 prophetic words over me and my wife and the family. I've got over 90 words. That doesn't include some of the words I've received here. Because sometimes it's very similar to words that's gone before and so... But I've recorded over 90 prophetic words over us as a family. Why? Because when I'm faced with a hill country, when I'm faced with a wilderness, when I'm faced with struggles, I'm going to go over what God said, not what my circumstances are telling me. I'm going to listen to the voice of God over my life, not the lies of the enemy. Very important. To those of you this morning that you feel God has spoken something over you through those prophetic words, you've got to switch off, tune out the voice and the lies of the enemy and those around you that wants to keep you from God. And you've got to turn on what God has spoken over you. And you've got to get around people that will help you do that. There's been times in my life where where I've laid on the floor crying with with my phone here in front of me reading over the words of God, where I'm like, God, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. When we were making the decision between closing down our father's house and coming here, God, this doesn't make sense what is happening. And then he highlights a prophetic word. And it gives me courage to go on. 
Sometimes we, we look at the job at hand, we see the giants we face, and we will face. You know, some of the giants we face is a society that despises Christianity. That's a real giant we're facing at the moment. Where other religions and belief systems are revered, but Christianity is, you're a Christian. Or immediately they think you're narrow-minded. Exclusive, not inclusive. They immediately think that you are judgmental. That's a giant. For many people, that's, that's like, I don't know how to overcome that. Maybe time, finances, circumstances. So, so what can we do to overcome these things? Like I said, I've got, I'm going to mention three more things. The first thing is we have to know what God has spoken over us as individuals and us as a church. Joshua 14, verse 6 to 15, and it's not on the notes, it's not on there because it's quite a lengthy passage. I'm going to read it to us. I read in the beginning from uh, verse 13 and 14. Listen to this whole passage, and it's going to give us some key points on how to overcome. A delegation from the tribe of Judah, led by Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, came to Joshua at Gilgal. Caleb said to Joshua, listen to this, Remember what the Lord said to Moses. The man of God. About you and me when we were at Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I'm 44 now and I'm thinking, oh, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? You know, Lord, it says, you know, futility of our minds sometimes. I returned and gave an honest report, but my brothers who went with me frightened, frightened. They weren't faithful. They were full of fear. Frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So that day Moses solemnly promised me the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. It's amazing. He's connecting there the, the words and the promises of Moses. It's the same word that God spoke over Abraham. Often what God speaks, my friends, is generational. We're not just building for ourselves. We're also building for the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as He promised for all these 45 years. Can you imagine that? Going in, seeing what God has promised, coming back, and because of others' lack of faith, having to go through the wilderness... 45 years, and then coming back faithful still. Oh, help us, Jesus. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well, as He promised for all these 45 years since Moses made the promise. Even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today, I'm 85 years old. Anyone 85 and up in here? No one over the age of 85. So, Caleb, you're not 85. 
<laughs> so, so Caleb was older than anyone here today. Even older than you, Brian. <laughs> but listen to this. Listen to this. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey. What? And I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. Now listen to this. You will remember that as scouts we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. Who were the descendants of Anak? The Anakites. They were giants. Giants. They found in archaeological digs 12 foot long steel beds that these guys slept on. That's tall. Does anybody know how tall this, this roof is? 12 feet. Giants. Listen to this. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land. Just as the Lord said. He so adopted what God had promised that it ran through every fiber in his being. It filled his heart. It filled his thoughts. It filled his speech. So that when he spoke to to Joshua, it wasn't like, I've I've got sword's shoulder. A bit, bit of uh, you know, frozen soul, shoulder from swinging the sword so much from all the fights we've got. Can you please just give me a nice little place by the beach? I mean, in today's thinking, I just, I just want a quiet piece of land where I can come to church on a Sunday, sing, pray, hear a good encouraging word, go back to my beach. So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave Hebron to him as his portion of land. Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb. So Jephunneh the Kenizzite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. And the land had rest from war. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? What is, what is God's plans for this city? For this country? For the nations? How can we impact it? Be so full of faith that when we have completed our plans and purpose that the people will rest from war. So first and foremost, we need to know what God said. The second thing we have to do is believe what God said. It's not good enough just knowing what God said. We've got to believe what God said. Are you still with me? Nudge the person next to you who is asleep and say, wake up. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. When the 12 spies came back, what did they elicit in the hearts of the Israelites? Fear. Faithlessness. An inability to... To trust God for what he had said. 
the voice of fear became so loud that it overwhelmed the promises of God. I wonder how many times you've allowed your, your lack of faith to be louder in your ears and in your heart and has almost like halted the plans and purposes of God for your life. Caleb believed what God had promised to him through Moses. It envisioned him through some very difficult times, like we said, the wilderness, through war. And now it's envisioning him to not settle. To not go for the the great life. No, he said, give me the hill country where the giants live. And I will take them on and slay them. But you know, it's not good enough to just know what God said. It's not good enough to just believe what God said. We actually have to do what God said. We actually have to do what God said. James 1 verse 22 says this, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling who? You're only fooling yourself. When we do what God said and step out of the boat like Peter did in that storm, or like Abraham leaving the security of his father's house, then God opens the heavens and provides what we need to step into what he has for us. You know, when, when James and Lisa started talking to us about coming here in September last year, I mean, for me, it, 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 it was kind of left field. I didn't expect that because in that time, it was in that time, um, James and Cornell, when we were starting to talk about do we, do we look at establishing each family in the, in the city where they were? Do you remember those conversations? How are we going to do this? How are we coming out of COVID? You know, and then I was sharing this with James and, 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 and with some other people, and they were praying through it with me. And, and then we came and had lunch with James and Lisa the afternoon. How's this? The first Sunday in September last year. Uh, yeah, it was last year. The first Sunday in September, we were going to meet and talk about whether or not the plan is something that people have got faith for. That evening. And that afternoon, we're having with James and Lisa in here. And they said, we don't know how to say this. We spoke to Tyron, who leads NCMI. And he just says, you just ask. So in that, after that lunch, they said, what do you think about coming here, joining us, and basing yourselves over here? Por qué? How does that fit in with what I've been feeling and praying into? Can you imagine what I felt like? Here we are praying through, trusting God for how to move forward with, with our father's house. And now James and Lisa comes with this nonsense. I didn't, I didn't say it or think it like that. But it was, it was like a bit of a shocker to me. Then that evening, not a single person in the meeting with our father's house said they had faith for the way forward. Shocker. But then again, we did open-handedly start the church and say, Lord, even if it's just to encourage people during COVID, your will be done. So now I had to wrestle with that statement. 
did I really mean that? Or did I want to build my own little empire? But then what happened is we decided, we felt, okay, it's right for us. We need to, we need to come to Crawley, be part of this church, figure out how that meant. Vicky and I, we had conversations and conversations with others about what do we do with the girls, with school and moving house. And we started looking, we drove through, come to church. Got the five-minute sign from my wife. <laughs> and we, there was no way forward. Jobs. What are we going to do about jobs? Couldn't, Vicky couldn't stay working where she was. I couldn't keep doing what I was, driving through to Northampton twice a week. Didn't make sense. Couldn't break, no breakthrough, no breakthrough, no way forward, no way forward. December, Vicky resigns. When did we start looking at the house? Is it January or February? Anyway, Vicky resigns, and all of a sudden, the atmosphere changed. The opportunity to go back to the previous school, I think, came about. And then we found the house. And then Catherine spoke to me about, about uh, the chiropractic, the clinics. And then all of a sudden, we're here in April. Often when we step out of our comfort zones, leave the Father's house, leave the country that we know, the comfort zones, God then firms the ground under our feet. We don't have to know everything before we step out. Just respond in faith and obedience to what God has said. Then God acts on our behalf. William Tyndale, those of you... um, we don't know him. He lived from 1494 to 1536, so he, he was quite old. Uh, but he's quite renowned for his Bible translation. He said this, Beware of good intents. Beware of good intents. Good intentions are not enough. Good intentions are not enough. In fact, um, I, I, I've... I've latched on to the saying for, for a few years, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Nobody knows where that originates from, but here's an interesting fact. In 1828, a London newspaper published that saying, and they claimed that it was from a Portuguese saying. One person in 1930s adapted it into Romeo and Juliet. There is something about saying, I meant to do it and not doing it. That just doesn't work. Beware of good intents. James 4 verse 17 says, If anyone then who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, how's this? It says this, It is sin for them. God places a very high premium on us acting when He speaks. God wants us to act when He speaks. Not because He's testing us, because He wants to unleash whatever He has for us when we act in faith. Isn't that beautiful? So we need to, it's not just good enough to know what God said. We need to add believing what God said. And then we need to add doing what God said. And then the final one is, we need to help others do what God has said. We need to help others do what God has said. We are better together, and we are in this together. We are not called to be single little solo Christians flying by ourselves in this world. We're called to be in community. We are called to be together. We are saved 
into community, into the body of Christ. One of the greatest privileges and pleasures we have is to strengthen one another, to encourage one another, supporting one another towards that sweet spot that God's got for us. When we're walking in the plans and purposes that God's got for us. Not perfect, no issues, sweet spot. Caleb and Joshua didn't have that. But the amazing thing is this. The amazing thing is this. I'm going to jump down. I'm going to go back to chapter 14 verse 6. It says this. I don't know if it's there, Rob. It says this. A delegation from the tribe of Judah led by Caleb. A delegation from the tribe of Judah led by Caleb came to Joshua. What does that mean? It means that there were others that was just as convinced as Caleb was that they came with him to Joshua and supported Caleb in what he said. How do I, how do I know that? Because they took the hill country. And I promise you this, Caleb did did not do that alone. He had people with him. But for that to happen, do you think every time that somebody was negative, or like, oh, you know, this this is such a difficult thing to take, this country, these people are so obstinate, so difficult, they don't want to hear to my nice words that I'm telling them? (laughs) Do you think Caleb just stood there and went like, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, 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 sure, you know? You know, Vicky is really a tough nut to crack. You know what I'm saying? No, I can't. Can you imagine the same guy who told Joshua what he told to stand there and just go like, oh, shame. Yeah. I think what he did is he envisioned the others around him. Because he was not just, he, 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 he didn't just know, he was convinced. Con, there was a conviction in his heart and in his mind that this is the only way that I can live with peace in my head and my heart is if I do what God has called me to do. And if I get others to see that so that we can do it together. I don't want people to follow me because I'm charismatic. I want people to walk with me because they're convinced of what God said. Very big difference. Because if I fall, what's going to happen with the rest? What I mean by fall is like, Move away or something like that. If we move away, what, what's, what happens with the, with the work that stays behind? It needs to grow. Why? Because it's not built around a person, a visionary. It's built around what God said through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we go together. Isn't that beautiful? That's something worth giving of our time and our effort to. That's something that we can go, come together and say, this is where we're going. I believe that part of what God has called us to in this season is to settle some of these things. And I want to ask you this. I want to ask you this. Could you please, 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 please pay attention to how you react in this time to whatever the Holy Spirit presses His finger on? Can I ask you to pay attention to whatever the Holy Spirit is putting His finger on? In other words, when there's a prophetic word that comes, when there's a call to mission that comes, how do we react in that moment? Stop. Pay attention. Why am I reacting like this? 
Why am I responding like this? Why am I kicking against it? It should set off warning bells. Because I tell you this, the root of that reaction is the very thing that when we're moving with God, is going to cause you to not continue with Him. God is calling us in the season to deal with those roots, to deal with those, those concepts, those ideas, those perspectives, those precepts that we have, so that we can take, remove it from the equation, so that when we run with Him, those things are already dealt with. Because we don't want to get tripped up by those things as individuals or as a church when we're walking in what God's got for us. Be wary. Be aware. Amen? So, if you can skip to the last, I think, four or five slides, please. Um, We will take the hill country of what God has called us to when we know what God has spoken over us. We will take the hill country of what God has called us to when we believe what God said. We will take the hill country of what God has called us to when we act on and do what God said. And we will take the hill country of what God has called us to when we help each other along the way. And when we do this, we will be moving from a visionary mindset to being visionaries together. And we will walk in the sweet spot of what God has called us to. Let's stand together, please. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the promises that you've spoken over us as individuals and as a church. We thank you, Lord God, that you've got a plan and a purpose for each one of us in this community. Lord God, we're all different and in different places in life, but you're not surprised by that. You know exactly where each one of us are. You know the obstacles we face at the moment, the challenges, the lacks that we feel, the deficiencies. But you also know what you've placed inside each one of us for this time, Lord God. So I pray, Father. I pray for courage. I pray for courage to press into you and into one another, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that that it will become clear to us what you've placed in us for this time. I pray that it will become clear to us the things that are obstacles that need to be removed, Lord God. I pray, Father, that we will respond in faith to what you've spoken, not fear faithlessness, Lord God. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you this morning. Wherever you find yourself, if you find yourself full of faith, stir that and share that with somebody else. If you find yourself on the other spectrum, well, I don't even know if I believe this stuff. I want to encourage you. Won't you speak to one of us about that? Won't you be vulnerable and brave in speaking to one of us? Because you're not alone. We're in this together. And we're better together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you've spoken to us this morning. We thank you for your ministry to us through the Holy Spirit. 
pray that this word will find good soil in our hearts. I pray that we will respond with faith in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Please join us for a cup of coffee or tea uh, in the back here. I, don't, I think some people have come prepared for the bring and share, um, which is happening afterwards. Um, can I ask that you speak to Tim, please? Wave, Tim. If you are staying, just so that we can work out the logistics of, of uh, what's happening. Wonderful. Thank you so much. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.